So this evening will be a little bit of a recap for those of you who are at the Temuata retreat. But in some ways I feel like it's, uh, I don't know about those of you who are there, but for me I feel like I'm still coasting on the afterglow of that particular retreat. And one of the aspects of it that was inspiring was uh, at the end just hearing from the managers and some of the people who have had really long-term involvement with that center, how it was set up, I think, at least 30 years ago by a visionary group of friends who bought this piece of wild, rugged lands, land down there and were just inspired to set up a retreat center and then to keep it going, you know, just how much energy and effort it takes to keep anything going, but to keep it going and growing as a resource that then we all could benefit from to have our retreat at. So this theme of generosity, as many of you know, is really central to the Buddha's teachings, and I wanted to talk more about it tonight, partly because when this understanding of dana, which is the traditional word for generosity, translates into the West and into our capitalistic, consumeristic society, it doesn't actually translate very well. Yes, so it tends to be equated with making financial donations at the end of a teaching or towards a retreat center, at the end of a workshop, at the end of a class, and so on which is an important part. I wouldn't be sitting here if that wasn't also an aspect of dana. But I wanted to revisit it because it's actually the foundation that the whole of this path of practice develops from. And like many foundations, it can be easy to overlook until it's not there and we realize, whoa, something structural is missing so the Buddha, it said, whenever he was meeting with people who were new, he always started by talking about generosity. And I think he, he, di he didn't start with giving meditation instructions. Yet most of us in the West, we start with the meditation instructions and then we kind of go backwards and maybe end up with dana. In his teaching, he started the other way around. He began by talking about the value of generosity. And I think this is partly because generosity is pretty much a universally valued attribute or quality. It brings about practical benefits for others and for ourselves. And being able to be generous helps us step out of our perhaps more narrow and self-focused orientation to the world. So generosity requires us to open our hearts and to open our minds, which makes us more receptive to trying out new things, trying out new ideas, new practices, learning new ways of being in the world, all of which are very useful when it comes to our meditation practice. So I think that's another reason that the Buddha began with generosity, because when we're generous, we're open, we're open-hearted, we're open-minded, we're more receptive. So in the Buddha's teachings, generosity is a very powerful quality that has a lot of different nuances to it, more than what the English word generosity might suggest. 
So the first thing I'd like to highlight is that the word that's usually translated as generosity, which is dana, technically refers in the Buddhist teachings to the act of giving or to the thing that's being given. And the Buddha used another whole word completely to talk about the motivation, the heart quality that allows the gift to happen. And that second word is chaga. So chaga is the inner motivation that spurs us to make a donation or make a gift or offer of our time and so on. And this heart quality, I think of it as the spirit of generosity. This is chaga. And in the Buddha's teachings, chaga is a very beneficial quality because it leads to all kinds of other skillful qualities. So some of you may know that the word that's usually translated as meditation is bhavana. And bhavana literally means cultivation. So in Pali, farmers bhavana their crops, they cultivate their crops. And gardeners bhavana their fruits and vegetables. And in the same way, meditators bhavana their minds, they cultivate their minds. And so I think of chaga or generosity as a way of fertilizing the soil of our hearts and minds so that our meditation practice can reap the greatest benefit. So chaga is the feeling, the motivation, the desire to share something with someone, to be of benefit to others as well as ourselves. And out of this quality of open-heartedness, we it also supports empathy and kindness and compassion and self-compassion and gratitude and appreciative joy and acceptance and balance and equanimity and so on. So you might get a sense that chaga, the spirit of generosity, allows all of these other beautiful qualities of heart and mind to flow. So... It makes sense then that the Buddha made chaga and dana the foundation of all of the teachings because practicing generosity gives us a very immediate experience of the benefits of this path and it feels good which sets up a positive feedback loop that helps us to want to continue with the practice because if we're doing it right, if we're practicing generosity out of genuine willingness and not some kind of social obligation, then we can enjoy it. So I'd like to help us get a sense of that now and just, you might take a moment to remember a time when you experienced generosity in some way, either being on the offering end, so offering generosity to someone, or having received generosity from someone. It doesn't have to be a huge thing. It might be that when you were sitting here this evening, somebody offered you a cup of tea. Or you offered a cup of tea to someone. So just take a moment to tune in and remember a time when you offered or received generosity. And then what was that like? In the body, in the heart, and the mind, what effect 
did that have or what effect can you feel now? Anybody like to just share a word or two? Light, thank you. Softening, Softening. yeah. Connection. Connection. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Pardon? Empathy, Empathy. yes. Happy, openness of the heart. Yeah. Lots of good qualities. So that very immediate sense of the benefit of generosity. And yet for most people, we first encounter generosity at the end of a teaching, of a workshop, of a retreat. And we're usually given what's known as a dana talk where an official of some kind, the manager or, sorry? Otherwise known as a hard sell. Okay, so in terms of, if we want to err a little on the cynical side, the hard sell of the dana talk, where we're invited to, um, you know, to share our financial resources usually to support the teacher, to support the center and so on. And, This is extremely valuable. As I said, this group wouldn't be running. We wouldn't be able to meet here. We wouldn't be able to provide tea and coffee. We wouldn't be able to support teachers. We wouldn't have access to like the teachings of Joseph if there wasn't this spirit of generosity. So this is a beautiful and important aspect. And it's we've seen the local generosity here, that this is a peer-led group that we all participate in and share in together. And in addition to this local generosity, we have the generosity of millions of unknown people who have helped support the transmission of these teachings ever since from the time of the Buddha's own life beyond his death many centuries ago. It's quite amazing when you think about that. How do we get to be here in Auckland in the year 2019 exploring the teachings that the Buddha gave in India over two and a half thousand years ago. How did that happen? It happened because of generosity, because the people who heard the first teachings from the Buddha were inspired, they shared it. People were inspired, they shared it. And so on, down through generation after generation. And now, here we are tonight. It's pretty mind-blowing. And all of us are participating in this same flow, this same tradition of receiving and offering. So this to me is a very mysterious but powerful force that somehow brought us all here together tonight. And so it is in some ways too bad that in the Western context it's often collapsed into just making a kind of financial donation because it can set up an unconscious tendency to see dana as a kind of an optional add-on. You know, this customary thing we do, we're expected to do, and so we do it, more or less, willingly. But if we really take on dana in the way the Buddha intended, as a whole spiritual path of practice in its own right, then it helps to lessen greed, for example. And it strengthens our capacity for contentment. It helps to develop the quality of renunciation, sometimes translated as non-addiction. 
and it helps reduce our dependency on material comfort for our well-being. And it's not necessarily obvious when I think most of us are steeped in Western mainstream culture, which is so based in capitalism. And with this kind of conditioning, we tend to assess generosity in terms of the material or financial value of the gift. But in the Buddha's teachings, what was primary was the heart quality, the intention, the chaga behind the giving. And it's the, the heart quality that determines the value of the gift rather than its material value. So a small donation from a person of little means given with a lot of sincerity is seen as much more valuable than a large monetary donation just kind of written as a casual check by somebody who's very wealthy. And when I was volunteering in the men's prison a few years ago, I was really struck by the generosity of so many of the men there, even though some of them were technically classified as indigent, which meant they literally had no money at all. They were always looking for ways to contribute, to give, to share what they did have. And one of the men had done some practice in the Tibetan tradition. And as some of you know, in the Tibetan tradition, they have malas, those um, bracelets of beads that they use to count as part of their practice. And this man saw the three of us volunteers coming in, and he was concerned that we didn't seem to have malas. He didn't know that it wasn't part of our tradition. But anyway, he decided that he would make malas for each of us. And he did it by picking up twigs in the yard and then breaking them into little pieces and filing them on the concrete into round beads. And then he somehow was able to drill a hole. And somewhere he got some wire and he threaded these twig beads onto this wire. And he presented each one of us with this mala. Now, technically, that necklace was made of rubbish, of offcuts, of discards, of things that were of no material value. But I had a sense of just how much time and energy and care went into that gift. So for me, it was a very meaningful gift. So as I say, in the, I felt when he offered us this gift, also his sense of happiness that he had been able to find something to offer to us because he acknowledged how much he felt he'd received from the group. And again, this is about putting more attention on the quality of the mind and really offering what we offer with as much awareness as possible. So when we did the go around a little while ago, I wanted to just highlight the fact that all of us are contributing to this group in many different ways. And to not dismiss that, you know, in our society, if people give you something, it's traditional to say, oh, you shouldn't have. And, you know, almost literally dismiss it. Or in, um, like in Spanish, if somebody gives you something, they say thank you and you say de nada, or it's nothing. You know, so there's a lot of cultures have a tendency to dismiss when something is given. But in the Buddha's teachings, he says, before giving, glad while giving the mind is bright and clear 
Having given, one is grateful. This is the consummation of the sacrifice. So it's an invitation to notice before, during, and after. How is the quality of the heart-mind? And I was struck by the word sacrifice. There's a sense that something of value is being given up. Perhaps something even quite hard to give up or to let go of. But the sacrifice is compensated for by the skillful mind states that it gives us access to before, during and after the act of generosity. So to see if we can find that quality of gladness as we offer whatever we offer. So if we take on dana as a spiritual practice, though, we might notice, especially at first, that it can bring up feelings of vulnerability. So just to acknowledge that it takes courage to connect with others in this way, to offer something that's of value to us, and to potentially be rejected. You know, sometimes people do refuse our gift. So we do need to bring wisdom to the practice and to hopefully make sure that it's uh, done with wisdom rather than being foolish generosity. And I want to emphasize that because sometimes when people hear teachings about generosity, it can bring up a sense of fear or inadequacy. Oh, I'm supposed to give away everything I've ever owned, otherwise I'm not doing it properly. But this, again, is a wrong understanding because, as I think most of you know, in all of the Buddha's teachings, he talked about the middle way which is the balance point between what we might think of as foolish generosity on one hand or stinginess or miserliness on the other. And the Buddha was very clear. He didn't value poverty for its own sake. Unlike some spiritual traditions, poverty was not seen as a virtue. So he emphasized that skillful giving means taking our own resources into account. So he said, if you have a little, give a little. If you have a middling amount, give a middling amount. If you have much, give much. So it's very practical and pragmatic. And this practicing generosity helps the heart and the mind to open. And when the heart and the mind are open, then we can more easily receive the teachings and we can more easily connect with others. And yet, I think... When we move into this terrain of practicing generosity and we start bringing more awareness to it, sometimes we notice where we're not so generous, where we do shut down, withdraw, hold back, and so on. And we might notice a contraction or a closeness somewhere. And often what stops us from being generous is some form of fear that there isn't enough, there isn't enough to go around, or that we'll miss out on something. But paradoxically, this kind of fear has a way of becoming self-fulfilling and it creates a kind of poverty mentality in the mind. And we often then, out of that, create the very situations that we're trying to avoid. And the Buddha, being such a master psychologist, he recognized this too. He said, what the miser fears that keeps him from giving is the very danger that comes when he doesn't give So what the miser fears that keeps him from giving is the very danger that comes when he doesn't give. 
And you probably, most of us have met somebody who's very tight, shall we say, miserly, stingy. And because of that, people don't share things with them. And so that, you know, hoarding sort of mentality becomes a self-fulfilling, um, you know, sense of lack gets um, deepened, becomes entrenched. And it reinforces a small sense of self. So generosity has a way of helping us to cut through that when we take it on. In the beginning, it might be what we call a going against the grain practice. But as we do it, we start to become more familiar with it. And we can start to taste for ourselves that it actually feels good. So there's another famous quote, this one from Shanti Deva, who says, All the joy the world contains has come through wishing happiness for others. All the misery the world contains has come from wanting pleasure for oneself. So again, there's that contradiction or contrast between the altruistic openness and expansiveness and spaciousness of generosity compared to the tightness, the closing, the smallness of collapsing into just getting our own needs met. And one of my teachers, Joseph Goldstein, has made the point that in the overall development of the practice, there's a significant turning point that comes when we shift from thinking about what can I get from my Dharma practice to what can I give to it. And again, because of our dominant conditioning, most of us tend to come to our Dharma practice with some sense of in a way, approaching them from an individualistic and self-oriented and acquiring mindset. And we do come, at least at first, with some sense of what am I going to get out of this rather than what can I offer to it. But as the practice deepens, we understand the benefits of altruism. And we start to really understand that the more we can live in alignment with our deeper values, the more this Dharma practice benefits not only we ourselves, but everyone we come into contact with. And again, we can see that right here in this Sangha, this community, which is, to me, a field of generosity, Dana being offered and received. Because I'm guessing, like for any of you on a Thursday night, there's a hundred things you could be doing, Right? You don't have to come here. You could be watching Netflix. You could be playing sport. You could be spending time with your kids or your elders. There's many different ways we could be spending our time. And there's probably times when you feel like, oh, I'm a bit tired tonight. But if you come along anyway, that's you're offering the gift of your presence. Just showing up here is a form of generosity. Because if, I don't know, 22 out of the 23 of you here tonight decided to stay home and watch Netflix, we wouldn't have a group. Or maybe you have a Netflix watching group. It will be a different kind of group. So just to, again, not take that for granted. Because I think there's a lot about generosity. There's a lot about groups that we just, yeah, you know, we in a way diminish our own contributions. And we cannot even recognize, you know, for some of us, unless we've been in a more organizational role, you might not even realize 
even something as simple as meeting once a week on a Thursday, it requires having somewhere to meet. It requires having a host. It requires having someone to send out emails and someone to maintain a website and somebody to take care of the financial contributions and balance the books. And at time, from time to time, we have retreats that we organize as a group. And each one of these tasks requires our attention and time and energy and care. And all of them are done by volunteers who freely give their attention and time and energy and care for the benefit of the whole group as well as themselves. So I I mention this just because I think it's important not to take this for granted and to not dismiss our own contributions, our generosity in showing up and sharing our uh, valuing of these teachings. So all of us participating in this flow of chaga and dana that in some ways I think of as like the lifeblood of the teachings. It's the energy that helps connect us. So hopefully you get a sense that dana is a lot more than just offering koha at the end of some kind of gathering, that it's an entire spiritual practice in itself and it really is the foundation that everything else develops from. So I'd like to leave it at that for now and give us some time to explore a little bit together. So thank you for your kind and generous attention. May our cultivation of chaga and dana lead us all the way to the highest happiness, the freedom of nibbana. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.